You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Nickerson, lead pastor here at Kingsway Christian Church, and it is good to be with you here on this Easter Sunday. I want to welcome everybody watching at home, either live or down the road somewhere. Welcome. We're so glad you're here, too. When I was a little kid, I grew up in a Christian home, and so we always had something to do with church on Easter Sunday, as well as an Easter basket, like every good American family. And so my mom, what she would do, whether it was before church or after church, she would take the Easter baskets, which usually had lots of candy, and then every once in a while, like a toy or something in there, and she would hide them in our house. Then she would write a series of clues in order to help us find it. You know, like, for instance, it might say, the first clue might say, your next clue will be found in your favorite place to be. So my sister's would be behind the telephone, and mine would be on top of the original NES. Amen? Original NES fans? Back before everything became 3D and then virtual reality, like, can we just go backwards? 2D, right? Anyway, so then you would get to that clue and it'd say, go to this clue and go to that clue and then go to that clue. And then finally, you'd end up in your Easter basket. And it was a blast. And then you had to get dressed up and go to church. And like many of you, family and friends and faith and formal wear all had to go together to make Easter. But it leaves a great question, like, what is really the point of Easter? In fact, you might even ask it this way, what is the meaning of Easter for us today. And the only way to really get to that answer is we got to go back to the first Easter and figure out what in the world they thought it meant so we can interpret it today. So go with me on this journey. And we're going to go to John, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 19, which is technically not Easter because you really can't understand Sunday morning until you understand Friday. So what we have in John chapter 19, the verses I want to read, is Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's down to his last few breaths. He is literally about to die. Here, let's pick up that part. John chapter 19, verse 28. <clears throat> Later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled. I want you to hang on to that little phrase. We're going to just unpack some pieces of it today, not all of it, but a little bit. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. If you were here at the Good Friday service, you heard a little bit of this, so I'll bring everybody else up to speed who wasn't there. The word it is finished is the word in Greek, tetelestai. Tetelestai. I'm gonna have you say that with me as best you can. Mumble your way through it. Ready? One, two, three. Tetelestai. And tetelestai means it is finished. You would see maybe an artist use this word. He would just literally put the last stroke on his picture and stand back and go, Tetelestai. He might literally build a building like a construction worker, an architect, and put the last brick in place and hammer that baby down and go, Tetelestai. But perhaps more than any other use of the word, tetelestai had an accounting background to it. See, in the Hebrew culture, if you were to uh, become a slave or a servant, 
The way that you got there was you accumulated a debt so big you couldn't pay it. And what would happen is what we considered slavery today is not at all like this. Don't compare American slavery. It was like indentured servitude. And you would have to surrender your life to work for the family or the person you owed the debt to until the debt was paid off. In fact, that debt was handed down from you to your kids and to their kids and to their kids and to their kids until one of two things happened. Either the debt was paid in full or, <clears throat> excuse me for a second, the year of Jubilee came. And when the year of Jubilee came, all debts are erased and we get to start over. Woohoo! So when telestai is used by Jesus, it's an accounting term that has to do with you're paying off a debt, excuse me, <clears throat> and you just <clears throat> wrote the last check. And you're handing it over, and basically what you're saying is, I am free. Amen. You're like, woo. <laughs> well, that's Friday. That wasn't Sunday. But see, it gives you a little bit of a picture why when we get to John chapter 20 and these ladies show up at the tomb and the stone is rolled away and Jesus is there and they're freaking out. And, and John's telling this story. They run to Peter and John and they're like, Jesus is gone. Now, I want to take you to that. Go turn with me to John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, if not, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen. But in John chapter 20, what we're going to see is we're going to see reference to two guys, Peter and John, except you're never going to see John's name. And part of the reason you never see John's name is because he refers to himself as the disciple throughout the book of John. In fact, he goes even further in some passages and he says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. How would you like to be called that for the rest of your life? In the earlier passage when John is describing the Last Supper, the way they ate it was like a table down on the ground and kind of leaning over. I, I put this on Facebook this week if you want to go and look at it. And um, Jesus and John are described as literally like laying up against each other because their friendship is that close, that, 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 that kind of bond. And John doesn't consider himself worthy to mention his own name. So when you go through here, you see the disciple, he means himself. John chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that, by the way, because what John just did is he just said, by the way, I'm faster than Peter. <laughs> if you were going to write a gospel that would last for thousands of years, you might drop a hint like that too. Verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. John didn't go in. But Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. By the way, this is typical Peter. I'm going to act first, think second. I love this guy. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying, still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Why is that little phrase in there? John's talking about himself. I'm guessing it's because of this. See, on Friday, when Jesus was crucified, these men didn't know what to do. Even though Jesus had warned them and told them and cautioned them and predicted for them, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. They had no concept of what was really, really coming. This is why when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, you see them kind of freak out and Peter lobs off a guy's ear. They're ready to fight. They don't know what's happening. And Jesus says, whoa, chill out, guys. You're going to live by the sword. You're going to die by the sword. Just like calm down for a minute. 
And then he's arrested and they're watching the trial from a distance and he's crucified. And they go and run and hide in the upper room. These guys were expecting something totally different than what they were getting. All kinds of questions of, God, what could this mean? And God, is this the end of the story? And I don't understand. We saw him raise the, the dead. We saw him make the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. How in the world could this be the end of the story? So when the ladies come to them and say, hey, hey, Jesus is missing. Their anxiety, their curiosity, maybe even the stirring of the spirit in them made them run to the tomb and look inside and go, oh, where is he? But John in his heart knew something profound is happening. Take a look at <clears throat> verse 11. Now Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. She said, I, I don't know where they put him. She's anxious. Do you ever read the Bible or hear a Bible verse quoted or see it on Facebook and you think, that is a really weird detail. Why did anybody stick that in there? But it's really, really important to get this. There are two angels and they're one at the head and the other at the foot. What John is doing, remember earlier when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he said, in order to fulfill all that is written, everything Jesus did from the moment he showed up on the scene until the moment he went up in heaven, every single thing was to fulfill scripture. In the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are trying to hand you these little hints to say, look, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clues that God gave us in the Old Testament that what he was doing in Jesus was powerful and unique. So when they would come, you could look at it and go, oh, 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 this is what God has been doing. This is what God has been doing. And what John is doing here is he's connecting another one of those dots. I don't know if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You're like, dude, you're old. Yeah, I know. My kids started playing the Lego version of the video game and they love it. And I'm like, someday I'll show you the movie. But there's this thing in there called the Ark. Here's a picture of it real quick. Just take a look at this Ark. And you'll notice at the top, there are two angels on each end and they're pointing their wings towards each other. Inside the ark are some holy relics. Uh, and those aren't really important for our conversation today. But when the top was put on it and the angels were put on there, the ark would go with them into battle. And whenever they went with them into battle, they would win. Well, when a temple was finally built for God, they took the ark and just like God told them, they put it in what's called the holy of holies, the innermost part of the temple. And it is said that that's where God sat, between those two angels' wings. And it was called the judgment seat. And one time a year, you can read about this in Leviticus 16, one time a year on the great day of atonement, the high priest would come in and he would sprinkle blood from a sacrifice on top of this judgment seat. And it was said that the blood of the sacrifice would erase all of the sins of the nation of Israel for one year. And then they got to come back on the same day the next year and do it again. But see, what John is doing is he's letting you know that when Mary peeked into the tomb and saw that there was no body in there, but there was an angel at the head and an angel at the foot, that the mercy seat, the judgment seat moved. Because now the judgment seat is inside there. You mean literally inside a tomb somewhere over in the Middle East today? No, 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 no. The judgment seat is in the one who died on Friday, but rose on Sunday. 
And you may be going, I don't understand. What does this mean still? Well, maybe just come back to the story and see if it helps us any. Look at John chapter 20, verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, just tell me where you put him and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You're like, I still don't get it. I, I, I don't understand. The question we've been asking, the question we're wrestling with is, what is the meaning of Easter for us today? And the answer is, it's the same as it was back then. It's life. Life. Specifically, by putting an end to the effect of death. Like, how do we get there from this? Well, because when Jesus came and he lived the life that we should have lived, and then died the death that we should have died, when he rose from the dead, we are told he took the sting and the victory out of death's hand. See, death is imminent for all of us. And in order to really understand what's happening here, you have to understand the big arc of scripture. You gotta go all the way back to the very beginning when God made Adam and Eve and he made them in his image and he gave them one stinking rule, one rule. And the moment that they disobeyed that rule, what happened was every subsequent generation after that also disobeyed God. And as a result, we're told in Genesis that now in dying, we will have death. And that's how strong it is in the Hebrew. And in dying, death. It is doom and gloom as doom and gloom gets. Because now that we have turned away from God, we've chosen to rebel against him, to do our own thing. What is coming as a byproduct is death. Not death after this life, but death to everything that we know. But when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, the debt is paid. He wrote the check. What happened on Sunday morning is the check got handed over to us and now we get to choose whether to cash the check or not. And the debt is paid in full. Go back to what he said real quick to Mary. Look at verse 17. Do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my, what's the phrase there? Brothers. Earlier in the book of Luke, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, hey, hey, let me get sure you get this right. You can find this in Luke 17. You are servants. And what master looks at a servant and says, oh, I owe you one. No, you work for the master. And you read that, like, especially as an American, you know, we rebelled against England to, to get freedom. We're like, oh, I don't know who you think you are. But Jesus is setting it straight. He's like, you need to understand who God is and you need to understand who you are. But see, that changed. Because we get to John chapter 15, right before Jesus goes to the cross, and he gathers those same disciples together, and he says, listen, I no longer call you servants, but now I call you my friend. And you go, that's so powerful. And he even clarifies, see, a servant has no idea what his master is up to. But you, because you're friends, I'm going to tell you what the master is doing. But now what happened is Jesus died on the cross. The debt was paid in full. Tetelestai happened. And now, as he rose from the dead, he grabs Mary and he says, now go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers that my father, no, 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 not just my father, your father. Now go tell the brothers, not my God, not just my God, your God is here. 
See, what Jesus just did in the resurrection is he took us all the way back to the beginning, to paradise, before sin ruined everything. And he said, I'm reestablishing the relationship with God the way that it used to be. So now I don't just call you servant. I don't just call you friend. I now call you family. You're one with me because you're one with him. And that's what resurrection means when we say it brings us life. Yeah. And in John 10, 10, Jesus says, life, that is really life. It's not a fake. It's not a facade. It's not a dream. It's not a hope. It is real. So real. This is why in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, Jesus is meeting with all his disciples, and he runs into two specific ones, and he says to them in Luke 24, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, all the things that have been foretold, and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus came to wash away all sin, one sacrifice. We don't have to come back year after year after year to get Jesus to wash away our sins. We need only come one time and say, here I am, Lord. Save me, redeem me, tetelestai me, finish the work in me. And he does. And we, that's why we mark that decision with baptism because we go into those waters. It's as if the waters are washing away our past and setting us on a trajectory for our future. And it's so powerful to watch that earlier in the service. The new beginning called life. But listen, we are not in the land of the living headed to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. And what's powerful about Easter is it marks for us a moment in time when we come alive. We spend so much energy trying to figure out how we're going to get up to God one day, and we miss the fact that God came down to us in the life that is ours eternally doesn't begin after our last breath. The life that is ours eternally begins right here, right now. If Jesus is in you, then the power of resurrection is alive in you, right here, right now. The power to overcome Satan, sin, and death. The power to redeem that which is broken. The power to be alive and to experience life here, not just then. You live in the land of the dying, but you live as believers, as alive ones, as those who are fully alive and well, filled with God's spirit and resurrected power in you today. And here's the thing, is that how your life looks? Does it look and feel like it's full of life and power? Because if it doesn't, friend, listen, then you're missing something. I'm just gonna make a really quick plug I want to spend the next five weeks at Kingsway talking about that. And if there's something about this that just sparks your interest, you're curious, you want to know more, and you can't be here, go online and watch. Because in the next five weeks, I want to tell you what God wants to do in and with your life if you will let him. 
Paul says it this way, Colossians chapter three, verse one. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And all God's people say, amen. I'll tell you what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray right now. And when I'm done praying, we're just going to sing and say, thank you, God, for resurrection life. And while we sing, look, whatever business you need to do with God, whatever junk you need to clear out of the way that's keeping you from living the life that God has called you to live, just do it. Father in heaven, thank you for resurrection. Thank you for life. Thank you, God, for sending your son. And Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for living the life that we failed to live. Thank you for taking the sting out of death. So God, we have no fear, no anxiety about our last breath because we aren't gonna pass from here into death. We're gonna pass from here into life. It's immediate, it's instantaneous. When we take our last breath here, we will be alive by the power of Jesus Christ there. And that hope is so powerful, so powerful. Father, let it transform us today how we live for you. Thank you. Jesus' name. Amen.